to our Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries, and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they've faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them, and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Claire Cronin, who is Chief Commercial Officer at McLaren Racing. That's the Formula One team. Before McLaren... Claire held senior roles at Virgin Atlantic and Barclay Card too. Thanks for joining me today, Claire. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Sure, absolutely, Grace. Well, um, I had quite an unorthodox path into sports, I would say. So I did a law degree and then I went to go and work in banking. And then I ended up working for a private jet company. And then I ended up at Virgin. So I had a very... Uh, sort of I had quite a windy career through lots of different sectors and the thing that's kind of united them all I'd say is real passion for consumer insight and for brand and so I got a call out of the blue when I was at Virgin Atlantic right at the heart of the pandemic to say would I be interested in a job at McLaren and at that time I sort of googling McLaren to find out a bit more about it like which part of McLaren because there's McLaren cars there's McLaren racing and it was for a role at McLaren racing and um, I took the call I came and met Zach our CEO and the rest as they say is history I signed up and joined and I've been here for just over a year now. So when you were at school did you know what you wanted to do or be or did that happen maybe more later in life? So great question. So when I was at school, Kate Aidy was on the front line as a war correspondent. And I really fancied that as a job. And so I went off and did work experience at the local newspaper. And then I realised how much I would have to work my way up these newspapers in order to get a role on the front line. And as a young person, I just thought, oh, God, I couldn't wait that many years to do that. (laughs) So then I sort of abandoned that thought no I don't want to be a journalist anymore uh, and I started to become very interested in the legal system uh, and that was really inspired by television you know classic tv yeah. dramas where I sort of watched stuff on tv and think oh I'd love to be in court advocating for people and I wanted to become a barrister so then I decided to do a law degree but what I didn't realize when I studied law was that if I wanted to become a barrister I'd have to go into chambers and I wouldn't actually start making any money until I was 28 And I just thought I cannot afford to spend years working up the system and not really earning any money. And so at that point, I sort of pivoted and thought, right, if I'm not going to become a human rights lawyer and God knows I could have married George Clooney and my life could have been so different. (laughs) Um, If I'm not going to do that, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know what, with a law degree, it's just a good, generic, solid degree. I'll just apply to various companies as part of the milk round process at university. And Barclays was one of those companies. They had a great graduate training program. So they let you join, spend two years at the firm, rotating through different departments. Uh, They would pay for professional qualifications. So I chose the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And I thought it'd just be a great introduction to business um, because, you know, banking and finance really sits at the heart of lots of different facets of society. So that's sort of the path I chose and how I ended up, first of all, at Barclays. Yeah. So I know you did go to Warwick University, but how important do you think it actually is to go to university? I think it is very different to when I was growing up. So certainly I went to an all girls school and there was just the expectation that all of us would then go on to university, we'd get a degree, we'd go and get a job, blah, blah, blah. 
And at the time, there was a very strong political agenda also promoting degrees as being the number one thing everyone should be going out in society to get. And I disagreed with that. I thought, actually, there's lots of trades which are really important, you know, whether you're a plumber, an electrician or whatever. And I felt there should have been much more of a balance between promoting vocational uh, qualifications and not just this constant push to go to university. Now, university was right for me because I actually loved academia. I loved the opportunity to study for three years. And I was fortunate to go at a time when the it was the first year tuition fees were introduced. So it only cost me a thousand pounds a year. And I remember at the time thinking, God, that's a fortune. How on earth am I going to be able to pay that money back? Mm. And I think it's really daunting now for young people eyeballing the cost of degrees, which are now spiralled to sort of American levels. And I don't think that A, it's the right thing for everyone. And B, I don't think it's necessary at all to be successful. So at the company where I am at McLaren, several of the board members didn't go to university um, and they are wildly successful. They've had fantastic careers in and out of McLaren. And so I don't think it's necessary at all. And I think recruiters now are much more open to receiving CVs from people with different different backgrounds, recognising that that diversity is what makes companies successful. That if everyone's gone to the same university, studied the same things, you get the same point of view. And groupthink is the most dangerous thing you can have in a company. Well, talking about diversity, as part of our Reach Next Generation Summits, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. And obviously, Sir Lewis Hamilton has been quite vocal about this issue in motorsport. But do you think that we are seeing a more inclusive society since the Black Lives Matter conversation started? I think we're seeing a, re- a heightened awareness of it. Yeah. Um, because I think it really prompted a conversation, a much broader conversation about white privilege and yeah. how the odds are stacked in your favour through no uh, sort of uh, nothing that individuals are doing. But you simply you know I've benefited enormously from growing up in a very white middle class background. And I've had certain opportunities, you know, I've had the easy path, if you like, to go into university, go into typical graduate jobs and have a very blue chip career. And I think what the Black Lives Matter movement has done is really heightened people's perspective that if you don't come from those backgrounds, that your path is much more difficult, that there are lots of some visible, some invisible barriers to getting jobs. And certainly when I was at Virgin Atlantic, We were doing a piece of work to examine why is it that we have comparatively fewer members of our cabin crew who are from ethnic backgrounds. And it transpired that one of the reasons was that when you apply to be cabin crew, we want people who can swim. So in the event of an emergency, we want, obviously, for people to be able to swim to safety and to help with passengers. And it transpired that actually in um, black communities, learning to swim isn't sort of a core part of growing up. So lots of people grow up as adults who can't swim. And so, therefore, they were dropping out of the application process because they couldn't swim. And so then we uh, started to invest in swimming lessons for young people who might want to um, go into those careers so that we could try and increase the diversity of our cabin crew. And I think it's really important at, at every company level that you look into what are the reasons that might be deterring people from going into a, a certain field. And some of it comes down to the visible role models. And I think what Lewis Hamilton has done, which has been so brilliant, is to be the most prominent sportsman of a generation in showing young black ethnic you know, female drivers that they can, against all odds, actually reach the very pinnacle of a sport. And I think he has done a wonderful job for Formula yeah. One and for the whole of motorsports. 
So obviously we've also been hit by COVID with things just beginning to feel normal again. But how have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues both personally and professionally? So it was interesting because I was at the height of the pandemic, I was working at Virgin Atlantic. So from a personal, from a professional perspective, I was um, spending a lot of my days um, working with my team to get refunds to customers who booked holiday flights. Uh, We were having to repoint all of our aeroplanes. So instead of shipping passengers off to holidays in Florida, they were shipping PPE to the parts of the world that most needed it. So from a professional level during the pandemic, I was fully allocated to doing that and working kind of crazy hours. And then in the second part of the pandemic in September of uh, 2021, I was actually nine months pregnant and I went on maternity leave. And so on a personal level, it was then a very lonely time because I went from being at home, but on the phone 24-7 to my team, working nonstop on Zoom and Teams and what have you, to then being at home with a baby by myself and all mother and baby groups had shut. So I was very I was uh, living in the New Forest, which is a beautiful part of the world, but incredibly remote. Uh, I couldn't see friends or family because of the restrictions. And so it was actually quite lonely as a maternity period. It wasn't what I envisaged because I've never had time off work before. And I sort of had visions of, you know, my first six months of my baby, you know, out and about meeting other mothers, making new friends. And I didn't do any of that. So I just spent a lot of time walking alone in the woods. And so I couldn't get couldn't wait to start my new job at McLaren in April of the following year. So there's a lot of talk about pay equality generally. But how well do you think women are catching up with men's salaries and getting those top jobs, especially in the auto sector? So I think it varies dramatically um, company by company and by industry sector. And I think I'm incredibly fortunate to work for Zach Brown, who is a very uh, forward thinking CEO who from the outset um, has always wanted to build a company that was truly diverse at the top, recognising that if he could have a diverse board, that they would be able to then recruit down the ladder and get people in at every level of the company and that we could spread that diversity. So he has a female CFO who's been with McLaren for sort of 14, 15 years. Um, I was recruited in as well on that board. His chief of staff is female. And then he has two men in the roles that would be considered almost more um, female. So the chief people officer is a man and the chief comms officer is a man. So um, I think he does a brilliant job of really setting his stall out at the very top of the organisation about what he expects. And then he's always also been very clear that it's about a meritocracy. So he will create the opportunity for men and women to equally apply. Um, But then ultimately, he'll recruit the best candidate for the job. And that's definitely a mantra that we try to live by at um, McLaren. And we try to we try to do more things by partnering with other organisations. So uh, we have a proposition called McLaren Engage, which is where we have partnered with five uh, non for profit organisations to try and reach communities that are underrepresented in motorsport. And that has been a terrific aid for us in terms of reaching those um, those people and making them aware of opportunities. Because, you know, someone who I used to work with used to say, you know, you cannot be what you cannot see. And she was a young black woman. Uh, and she said when she was growing up, she wanted to be a supermodel because Naomi Campbell was a supermodel and she saw her in the public eye. So we're very conscious of trying to hero different women across the organisation, different ethnic minorities, so that other people from underrepresented backgrounds can see that they also have an opportunity to work in Formula One. 
that uh, and, and I think we've been tremendously successful in doing that. So doing what you do must be quite stressful sometimes. But do you have any hobbies that really help you to relax outside of work? I do. Do you know what? It's not actually stressful. I Maybe it's because I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love the kind of 24-7 nature of the fact that we're in so many different race series. So we're in Formula One, we're in IndyCar, Extreme E, eSports, and we're kind of always adding things all the time. So there's always a race happening somewhere in the world. But in terms of relaxation, I mean, I have an 18-month-old daughter, Felicity, who's the absolute apple of my eye. I uh, George, my uh, King Charles Cavalier, who's just an absolute adorable dog and absolutely keeps me company and keeps me sane so I love going for walks with the two of them and my husband and I love Pilates like my my main kind of switch off I would say is reformer Pilates which is on a machine that looks like something medieval incredibly painful but it's one of those things that you cannot do it unless you're fully in the zone thinking about it and previously I've been on it I'm thinking, oh, oh, God, I should have scheduled that call. Oh, no. And I start, my mind started to wander, and then I fell off the machine. And I was so embarrassed. And I was like, right, from now on, I need to come to this class, give it my full attention. And so that's my number one thing, to just switch off and have some alone time. As much as I love my babies, uh, that's definitely what I like to do. Of course. So as Chief Commercial Officer, what are some of your main responsibilities day to day? So I look after all of the marketing and the licensing um, and the uh, sponsorship activities for our brand partners. So my days are super varied. So it can range from anything to, uh, you know, working with my team to sign off a new Lego model that we've just created a a Formula One Lego car, which is absolutely cool. So we we do things like that, like sign off the designs on things like that to... um, sourcing and signing off the new uh, caps that we're unveiling for Miami. So Miami's yeah. uh, a race happening in May. It's the first time we've raced at that circuit. So we're, we're launching a bespoke range of fan merchandise, caps, hoodies, mm. uh, T-shirts, etc. there. So we'll look at the fabrics and the designs that we're wanting to sign off for that. It can be onboarding a new brand partner. So fundamentally, um, licensing and sort of creating new products for fans to buy is probably makes up about 20% of our revenues overall. You know, 80% really comes down to the sponsorship we get in from our brand partners, yeah. uh, so people like Google, who we recently announced. And so a big part of the reason they sponsor our teams is because they want to be able to embed their brand into our business and to be able to showcase their products and how they help us win more championships. So some of the things I do will be hosting teams from Google, um, having them in their offices, doing some ideation and brainstorming on their new products and how we might incorporate them into our office life and track life in order to quite literally help the cars go faster. Yeah. Help us go faster as a business. Of course. Well, your job seems very varied from doing Lego designs to brand. (laughs) I have to say the world is changing so much and super quickly. But what do you think work for women might look like in maybe 10 years time? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, And you know what? I would say they always say, you know, change has never happened this slowly and it'll never happen. No, change has never happened so fast. It will never happen this slowly again. And if I look back to when I first joined the workplace in 2001, I think how much has really changed? Actually, in the last 20 years, 
not much has really changed. Yeah. I would say the biggest change was actually the pandemic, which forced hybrid working, um, a much greater level of technology adoption. And that has enabled more um, more women to be able to wa- work from home and to balance childcare. But, you know, for good reason, the the recession has been dubbed the she session because more more of the childcare responsibilities, more of the caring for sick relatives who caught COVID fell on the shoulders of women. And then we certainly saw when I was at the airline, more of the women taking the voluntary redundancy. And so I hope that over the next 10 years, we start to see more women re-entering the workplace, having had to step out and take redundancy or to look after sick family members. And I think that the change is going to happen very slowly. So it's a slightly depressing answer. But, you know, I don't think that in 10 years time we'll have materially more female CEOs in the FTSE 100. Uh, I don't think we'll see materially more females doing jobs that are stereotypically male. But what I do have hope is, you know, as a country that had a female prime minister when I was growing up, that we will continue to have more women breaking through the glass ceiling, that we will continue to have more girls choosing the subjects which had always been assumed that they didn't want to do because they didn't like maths or science. And actually, I think we're seeing increasing numbers of girls now choosing the maths and science subjects, recognising the different kinds of careers that they can have. And I think we'll have much better quality careers advice for those young girls entering the workplace, much more mentoring opportunities to help them choose their path. Because when I was at school, we filled in a questionnaire about our sort of personality traits and we got an online response back. And I, I will never forget my answers came back that I would be well suited to a job as a prison warden, a van driver or a social worker. And I remember oh. looking at this thinking, can I do the test again? What, what is it? My answers that suggested any one of those three things would be a good job for me. I didn't even have a driving license, so I couldn't even become a van driver at that point. So I would hope that we have much better careers advice in for girls at a much earlier age much better showcasing of all the different opportunities that exist for girls and that we'll start to see much better representation of them across the very diverse range of industries that are out in the world. Yeah. Well, let's hope there is a maybe a, only a little bit of change and then that can carry on happening. Indeed. So have you had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire? Gosh, there's been loads of people um, I really admire. And I think you know, when I was at, you know, when I was in my first job at Barclays, I was told to go and ask for a mentor. And I re- and I approached this really lovely man called Mark Parsons, who was uh, who used to run the mortgage bank at Barclays. And having asked him to be my mentor and he very graciously accepted, I was then far too intimidated to ever go and see him because I thought he's such an important man. And I'm just a graduate and I don't want to waste his time on something petty. And then sort of a year passed and I sort of hadn't gone to see him. And and then he ultimately he left the organisation. I think he's gone to a build. I think he runs maybe Coventry Building Society now. And I look back on that as like, what a wasted opportunity, because he wouldn't have offered to be my mentor if he didn't want to help me. But I was so intimidated yeah. by how important he was. I didn't dare ask him anything. <laughs> and so I really learned from, and I learned from that experience. Where I, was te- I was talking to I had a new line manager who asked me, like, why have you never gone to see Mark Parsons? And um, and I explained it to him. He said, well, if you're intimidated by somebody who's much more senior than you, perhaps ask someone to be your mentor who's closer in age to you, 
who has a less senior role who you might you can then get comfortable asking people for advice and for help and it was really good advice and they said also you don't have to have just one mentor you can ask several different people and people will always be willing to give up their time if you prepare properly for your meeting with them and make the use of the precious time that they're giving up and that was great advice and off the back of that throughout my career I've kind of leaned on people and asked them for help and and really just checked in with them, like maybe when I'm facing a difficult challenge at work and I want a different perspective on it. So I now draw upon a really vast array of people, some of whom are junior to me. I think reverse mentoring, which is something that Patrice Manti um, brought into Virgin Atlantic, was a really powerful thing. And I think being I'm currently being mentored by somebody more junior than me, who's at the entry level in my company. And I find that really useful because they can give me their perspective of how things are being done at McLaren, what they think should be happening. Um, And so I think you can draw advice and inspiration from lots of different people. It doesn't always have to be someone more senior and someone who's got the dream job that you want. You can actually get great inspiration and advice from a broad spectrum of people, which is what I seek to do. Definitely. So finally, what tips would you give girls or women when they start to think about their own careers and their future, and especially people who maybe want to work in the auto sector? I would say go and meet as many people as possible. You'll be really pleasantly surprised that if you reach out on LinkedIn to people and, and just send out 100 messages and maybe 90 people might not reply, but I bet you at least 10 will. And I certainly get a lot of people reach out to me through LinkedIn. And I always go back and resolve. I mean, this is how this conversation came about. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I will go back and reply to people. So I think if you've got a passion for something, then go and ask the question, can I come to your garage? Can I spend some time with you? I'd like to learn more because you'll be pleasantly surprised at how many people will say, sure, why not? And I think it's just a question of throwing yourself in, asking lots of questions and being open to lots of different answers, because you might go into it thinking, I really want to, for example, be a Formula One race driver. But then when you come and you understand the race schedule, all of the demands on a race driver, you might think, actually, I don't want to be the one driving the car, but I'd love to be the race engineer who helps work on the performance of the driver. And that's actually the career I want. So the more people you speak to, the more knowledge you have. And then the better informed you can be about what is really the best career choice for you. And so I'd encourage young girls to ask lots of questions and don't worry too much about trying to figure out your career path now. Like, you you know, you might end up doing a job that doesn't even exist today. But I think if you find if you work out what makes you happy, what gives you energy. So I realised quite early on what gives me energy, what makes me happy. And when I feel at my best at work is when I'm working with lots of different people. I have lots of variety in my day. And that has become the guiding force for me when I'm looking for jobs is would I, if I got stuck in an airport and the flight was cancelled, would I want to spend my time with the people I call my colleagues? Or would I be thinking, oh God, I've got 10 hours stuck with people. And I think, you know, I know that that's what makes, you know, that's where I get my energy, it's working with people. So I'm drawn to jobs which put me in with nice people and have fun time. So I think be clear about what is, what is it that makes you happy that gives you energy and then dive into those areas and ask more questions and gravitate to that don't do what you think your parents want you to do or what your school wants you to do do what makes you happy and what you're interested in because if you're happy and you're interested you'll be super successful at it yeah well I've really enjoyed chatting with you today Claire thank you so so much and I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own careers 
Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. For more information about us, is at reachnextgeneration.com. And thank you to Levi Strauss, Ideal Standard, Sage PLC and Haynes Watts for their fantastic support.